You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. week we started a series on social justice called Jesus Justice. And we started the whole thing off about talking about, you know, if you're going to live like uh, the Bible kind of expects you to, then you have to listen to the voice of the prophets. What do the prophets speak about a lot? Well, justice, taking care of those around us and ensuring that political systems um, care about the poor and the oppressed. A lot of times the church wants to kind of shut up um, the prophets today by telling people you can't speak about um, anything that's political and that includes, you know, even if it gets into justice type things. And we've seen how our silence um, has not only made the church kind of quiet on things that God cares about, but it's made us therefore complicit because we haven't cared about the things that God calls us to care about. Uh, So all that being said, that was kind of our opening to this whole Jesus justice thing. Now let's put the Jesus into the justice thing, because this is where people get thrown off. You know, they they want the heart and the fervor of what the prophets have to say. But a lot of Christians don't care about how they get the justice part. They, They want to get it sometimes violently, sometimes angrily. Um, and they don't pursue it with prophetic anger and the heart of Jesus and things like that. And so we end up with something that's not really justice. So uh, today I just want to kind of hone in on Romans 12, 14 through 21. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're just going to go through sentence by sentence. What does Paul call us to live like? Why does that look like Jesus? Why does that matter Uh, and uh, how should we live today if we're going to pursue social justice. So here's what it says in Romans 12, 14, and 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, let's break this down sentence by sentence. What does it mean to practice justice the Jesus way? What does it look like? First off, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time somebody had an opinion that was different than yours and you blessed them? And by the way, I'm not talking about that uh, annoying Christian thing. (laughs) There's sometimes in these Christian arguments where one person will decide at the end of it, 
in the middle of like a yelling match. I'm like, no, you know what? I love you. I just love you. Bless you. Bless you. Like they're saying the words Jesus wants, but they're just yelling them to get like the upper hand and to look right. Everybody knows like you don't want to bless them. You don't really love them in this moment. You can't just yell those words as a like a magic Jesus thing. You got to live that out. What does it mean to really love a person who is persecuting you? What does it mean to to bless someone who's cursing you? When was the last time you tried that? When was the last time you had a fight with your spouse? And at the end of that fight, you decided, you know what? I just need to go like do all the dishes and, and just serve them in this way. They've got a lot on their plate right now. They seem really stressed out. Is that the opinion that you have of someone whom you might have just had a yelling match with? Are you blessing the person close to you in that moment where you feel persecuted or, or overlooked? Uh, what about a child? Child's screaming at you. When was the last time you responded by giving them a hug? When was the last time you responded by giving them an undeserved gift? Not to, you know, enforce bad habits, but just as a way of loving someone who wasn't doing a good job of loving you in that moment. How about that person who's been gossiping about you? When was the last time that you just decided that you would buy them a gift? Not to, like, you know... Say, I heard what you said. I love you anyways. Here you go. But just like out of genuine care for them, even though they're treating you badly, just bought them a gift to love on them. That, I tell you, that will actually help you love the person more whom you are angry at, even if you didn't want to do it. All right, next up, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It's hard sometimes to do those things you usually think it would be easy to rejoice with those who rejoice but when was the last time you came across a post on some kind of social media and what the person was rejoicing about was really great and it made you feel bad <laughs> like oh, i wish i had that oh, i wish people cared about me uh, oh, if i could only when, when was the last time jealousy rose up with you and it, it caused you not to rejoice with those who rejoice where you knew like I should just click that like button, but nah, I'm just going to keep moving. That's, that's not rejoicing with those who rejoice. Likewise, when was the last time you weeped with those who were weeping? You know, right now we have um, a lot going on throughout our country about race. There are many black people and people of all different colors and nationalities weeping. And, you know, oftentimes in those conversations, I'm the, I'm the majority, right? I'm the white guy. <laughs> it can be very easy sometimes to turn your mind off and not weep with those who are weeping because you feel convicted and it's easier to be defensive. One of the times that we see people weeping, but we're too hardened to join with them. Next up in Paul's statements, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Paul's calling us to live uh, a church life, uh, a Christian life of one that has no dividing lines. Is that the case for you? Do you spread out away from people of other races when you find yourself in a gathering? Do you spread out from people of another class? Are you afraid to be around the poor or uh, do you look down on people who have a lot of money? Perhaps because you don't. Do you hate the person that thinks differently than you? What are your social dividing lines? Because here Paul tells us, drop it. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty about stuff. If you see someone who's poor, you should be there right alongside them. Do you let peer pressure create like your relationships? You know, we've all, <laughs> we've all seen that movie or we've lived that movie, that moment where um, in the lunchroom, you're about to sit down with the kind of your wacky friends at the lunch table when a popular person that you've gotten knows like, no, come sit with us. And, and you betray all your friends and go sit at that other lunch table. And, and suddenly you've just like added a dividing line and you're making new friends that you don't really know, but it's giving you status. You know, like that's a social dividing line moment where peer pressure fed the situation as to who you would end up hanging out with and who you would leave behind. It might sound petty, but it's biblical. I mean, it happened in the Bible. Paul calls Peter out on it. Peter at one point was uh, having dinner, uh, having a meal in the lunchroom, if you will, with a bunch of Gentiles, the outsiders, the lowly. He would have been the one who could have been seen as haughty, but he didn't. He, he found himself among those he usually wouldn't hang out with. He made himself lowly, hung out with the lowly, but then saw his haughty popular friends come by uh, some Jews who were not into the idea yet of sitting with the Gentiles, the unclean, the lowly, at that lunch table. And Peter, like so many do in the movies or maybe we've done in our lives, Peter left the lunch table and went and sat with his Jewish friends. And all the other Jews who were sitting at his lunch table with the Gentiles, they left and followed suit. Peter created a racial dividing line, a social dividing line, a line between the haughty and lowly. We can do that if we don't pay attention. Paul calls us to harmony, and harmony means letting go of our dividing lines. All right, next up, Paul tells us, never be wise in your own sight. This is, a, this is a good statement. You know, for a long time, I didn't really understand wisdom, but it's a very big biblical theme, and that's because your whole Bible starts with it. In the Garden of Eden, you can either wait to receive wisdom, the knowledge of good and bad, good and evil. You can receive that the godly way, by waiting for God to teach it to you, or you can take wisdom, become like God, and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve decides out of her own wisdom, you know, it makes sense. If I want to be like God, then 
I'll rationalize that this is the right thing to do, a good thing to do, and I'll take and eat. Take and eat and then give it to Adam. That's a narrative that repeats itself throughout uh, the Genesis story. You see it next with Abraham and Sarah. Sarah decides out of her own wisdom, you know what? God hasn't given us children. Let's use slavery. Let's use my servant. You can turn her into a surrogate mother who will carry a child that will, in our culture, belong to me. And out of my own wisdom, rather than wait for God's wisdom to where he gives us a baby, we'll make our own. We'll get it some other way. She, and it uses the language of Genesis, she takes Hagar and gives her to Abraham. She's repeating the wisdom, the bad wisdom of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is a story that all of humanity participates in. Though Solomon, Solomon actually, um, God shows up to him, right? And he's like, look, Solomon, I'll give you one thing. What do you want? It's like a genie moment or something. Solomon says, your wisdom. I'll take your wisdom. Like that's a huge statement in the Bible because Solomon in that moment is essentially saying, I'm not going to eat from the tree. I'm going to choose you instead. And he gets it. And so he gets wisdom and he writes wisdom literature and he says amazing things. Though humanity is so screwed up that he still fails miserably (laughs) in so many different ways. But he's remembered as a wise person because God gave him the wisdom that humanity should have always been seeking. And see, that's the thing. We're Christians. We're new creations. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which is the Spirit of Jesus, which is wisdom. Actually, if you follow this train of verses throughout the Bible, there's this, uh, Solomon writes about um, a being. uh, It's like a poetic personification, Lady Wisdom. And Jesus... We don't have time to get into it. But Jesus, at one point, you see him point back. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews also points back to Lady Wisdom. But when you talk about Lady Wisdom in Hebrews and when Jesus talks about her, Jesus essentially says, like, I'm Lady Wisdom. I am wisdom. I am God's wisdom. So do you want wisdom? See, you're not cut off from it. Like Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So anyone who wants wisdom, as Paul would say, if you want wisdom, just ask and it will be given to you. Paul tells us, do not be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. We practice a lot of our own wisdom. Paul tells us it's time to practice God's. He also tells us, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You know, what's your first thought when uh, someone does something wrong to you? Do you want to humiliate them? Maybe gossip about them to everybody else? Maybe Christian gossip? (laughs) You know what I mean. Uh, Just really care for their soul. What do you think? Here's what they did. What should we do for them? Um, We really just want to gossip. We want to talk. If that's our reaction, repaying evil for evil, trying to discredit, slander, ruin someone's life, turn their friends against them, 
then we're repaying the evil that they did to us with evil that we can do back to them. And that's not honorable in the sight of all. If you feel like when someone does evil to you, if you feel like they owe you something, then the truth is you haven't forgiven them for what they did. And Jesus commands us time and time again, forgive as many times as it takes. And we'll talk more about forgiveness, but know this, forgiveness is not saying what happened was okay. It wasn't okay. You know that. It was wrong. That's why you had to forgive. Forgiveness is saying, you owe me a debt, and I just decided to release it from you. Just like a bank might forgive your debt. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Or um, your student loans might be forgiven. In the same way, someone owes you a debt because they did something evil to you, and you in the sight of God say, I know you owe that to me. It's gone. It's forgiven. I let it go. Wasn't okay, but it's off the table. If you want to repay someone evil for the evil they did to you, then deep down you still haven't forgiven. Paul tells us, he continues, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I got to tell you, this, this verse has been a thorn in my side for, for a long time. It's because I'm a pretty logical person. When I get in a fight... I know why I think what I think. I want to argue what I think. It might be a spiritual conversation, but I got the Bible verses to back it up. Um, I'm looking for reasons as to why I am correct, and I'm ready to write an essay and argue why I win. Not because I want to win, simply because like, I'm like the logic is right here. Just pay attention to the logic, you know? Uh, and so when I get when I get in like a, a fight with someone, like I want them to see why I feel offended, why I'm wrong, or sorry, why I feel I've been wronged, and I want them to come around and acknowledge that, or um, maybe apologize, maybe something, something. I just I don't want to feel like I'm going crazy because logic is just being overlooked. That's just kind of a part of my personality. But I've found that there are times where we can all get so hardened with one another that it does not matter if I am logically correct, if I am spiritually correct. Sometimes the other party at the table just doesn't care about the essay you've written. <laughs> it doesn't care about the logic. And so you sit there like, no, 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 no. Listen, this, this all makes sense. They're like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm just mad. But you can't be, look at the reasons. I, I should be the one who's mad and I'm not mad. Like this, this kind of thing sometimes happens, right? Yet here's Paul saying, as far as it depends on you, personally you, not on them. As far as it depends on you, you're going to live peaceably. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> oh. There's been plenty of times in my life where I've had to uh, recognize I can only do what I can only do. And it doesn't matter in the end if the other person is ever going to come around to what I might believe is logically, spiritually correct. I am only responsible for myself, for my decisions, 
for my character, for what I'm going to do with this moment in time. And the question on the table is, what am I going to do? And following through with all that is not so easy. But this is recovery 101. If you ever get involved in a recovery system, first thing a lot of times that you're going to have to recognize is like, I'm responsible. And even if I could logically prove that like someone else has made whatever I'm going through difficult, I'm still responsible. I can only make whatever decisions I can make. And if another person could actually make this easier for me by entering the conversation, if they could do that and they don't, I'm still the one who's responsible. It's not on them. It's on me. And that's biblical. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And there are moments where that other person may not make that possible at all, and you might have to let a friendship go because it's just too hardened to come through. But if that person can deal with you (laughs) and you can let that moment go, then as far as it's possible with you to do that, You have to do that. Paul goes on as we get towards the end here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, The Avengers is a pretty cool movie, right? I mean, pretty epic. But it's just a movie. This idea that we can avenge Uh, evils that have happened in this world and take justice into our own hands is very specifically an unchristian idea. I think if we were to take what the Bible says to the place where it takes it, it's essentially like, look, hey, um, there will be repercussions for what people do, but like, you should never take a life should not have a death penalty. One, because there's always hope for this person to come around. But two, ultimate justice is for God. We don't have the full knowledge of the situation. We're biased in our opinions. Uh, We get bought out by others and their emotions and sometimes even their finances. We get emotional. We get vengeful. We get violent. We get evil. And that all figures in to vengeance. And here's Paul saying, look, ultimately, in the end, when God comes back, when Jesus comes back, the proper vengeance will be taken care of then. So for now, as far as uh, the way that you interact with people, you're not looking for vengeance. Justice, perhaps. Proper repercussions, perhaps, even a life sentence, perhaps. But the ultimate taking of of anyone, leave that in God's hands um, and love your enemies in the meantime. Bring them around through your love, just as Jesus died for his enemies. How much more extreme could it be hanging on a cross, not crying, vengeance is mine on the cross, but saying, Father, forgive them. 
Vengeance always leads to worse scenarios. Movies try to paint it in a different light, but they're always wrong. <laughs> Sometimes the movie shows it's wrong, but the soundtrack tries to make it look like it's right. Like I remember this cowboy movie I watched. Like one person ha wanted vengeance on another guy, and they ended up killing like an entire town. And like it ends... And just like everyone's dead and there's bullet holes and everything and the town's just destroyed and everything. And yet here's like the characters and the music trying to make it look like we succeeded. <laughs> and you look at the scene and you're like, what are you talking about? You failed miserably. You let vengeance give way to vengeance until you destroyed everything in, it, in your path. Don't take out vengeance. Leave that to God. In fact, Paul goes further. He says, you know, to the contrary, if... If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Weird, one of the weirdest passages of Scripture. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's just acknowledge. Paul says, like, instead of getting vengeance and repaying evil for evil, instead of doing that, like, if your enemy is thirsty or hungry, give him something. Take care of him. If they slap you, turn the other cheek. If, if they sue you, give them more than they won in court. If someone hurts you, buy them flowers. If you find a wounded enemy soldier, nurse them back to health. Take care of them. If someone nails your hands to a piece of wood and leaves you there to bleed out, forgive them. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's hard. It's so hard. These, though, they're, they're not weak tactics. These tactics saved an entire world from sin. For any who follow Jesus are freed by those tactics of a cross. The same kind of cross that we as Christians are called to carry. All right, so what about the heaping, burning coals on their head? Like, what does that mean? All right, there's two different ways that you can take this, and they're polar opposite, okay? So on one hand, Paul may be saying, look, enemy treats you badly, do something good for them. If you do that, you heap a burning coal on their head. That sounds kind of like God's judgment, right? So what Paul could be saying is like, they hurt you, you treat them well, you have now just given God reason to... Um, when the ultimate judgment comes to say this person definitely was acting inappropriately and the judgment is on them, right? Paul could be going that route based on some of the ways he's talking, though we've also been talking a lot about loving your enemies like this whole time. So it probably makes more sense that Paul's saying, um, look, y you keep a burning coal on someone's head and that could have positive connotations, especially if it's attached to Egyptian culture. Um, first off, putting a burning coal on someone's head, this is a proverb. So Paul's talking about a Bible verse. He's not just pulling this phrase out of thin air. Uh, but the proverb, if it's connected to Egyptian literature, then basically there's a few different traditions that it could be about. Sometimes the Egyptians, if somebody had done something wrong, they'd have to carry a basket on their head full of burning coals. And that was a way of like telling the community, like, I'm ashamed I did something wrong and this is the punishment that I got. And so Paul could be saying, they treated you badly. You treated them well. You've just caused them to 
be embarrassed about the way that they treated you by putting a burning coal on their head. And now hopefully they will repent. Or there's other um, possibilities. Burning coal, I mean, that helps create fire. And I think there were these Egyptian um, uh, ways as well where you might give someone a burning coal to help them start a fire. So it could have these positive connotations as well, depending on how Paul meant it. If you're really conflicted, I'd say you could use both, okay? <laughs> so um, I someone treated me badly, I treated them well, and by doing so, I heaped a burning coal on their head. Judgment is now upon them because I did the right thing, but I'm hoping that they will repent and turn to Jesus and be saved and uh, um, acknowledge the embarrassment. But if you really want to choose sides, the loving side is the Jesus side. Just go that way. And that brings us to our final line of Paul's uh, passage here. Do not be over, uh, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look, there's a lot of evil out there and you can really, really get lost in it. In fact, you can get lost in trying to fight evil. Uh, I've seen a lot of people get so bitter once they try to start fighting evil. They just see how deep it goes and they get so bitter that it sometimes can turn them towards evil, towards um, bad, un-Jesus-like tactics to try to solve the situation. Paul here says, like, if we're going to overcome evil, we have to do it with good. God does not call his people to defeat evil with evil. God does not call his people to persecute their persecutors or to make dividing lines or to practice their own wisdom or afflict a person into being peaceful with you. He does not call his people to vengeance. God calls us not to evil, but to good. He calls us to love our enemies, to practice diversity. He calls us to Jesus, who is wisdom, to lie down our opinions about others and be as peaceable as we ourselves can be. He calls us to bless our persecutors. See, Christians are to care about doing the right thing. We are to care about justice, social justice, making sure that people are taken care of because God hates oppression. But if we try to overthrow and overcome oppression by practicing evil, by practicing the wisdom of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, our own wisdom, a wisdom that was tempted to us to take by Satan, if we are to practice satanic wisdom, then the truth is we'll only replace any current oppression and any current injustice with more oppression and injustice. The things that Paul just said are not weak. These methods are very strong, but they're very hard to practice. They take a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and a lot of strength, and a lot of time. But they are the strongest tactics out there at not only replacing oppression, but doing away with it for good.
And we as Christians every day have to face difficulties that we run into with other people because we're human and humans run into problems with other humans. And Jesus, the one true human, says when you run into those problems, these are the ways that you act. And so I offer that to you today as our journey in Jesus' justice. Justice, whatever it looks like, should be founded in principles like we've talked about here in Romans. And we'll continue diving deeper into some of those principles as we move along.